0: So we are in Romans chapter 12. This is our third week, and today we're moving on to verse three. So we're making good progress. We will speed up a bit after this week, but these first three verses are just so important, and there is so much for us in them. We've heard that Paul is now turning to practical theology as he starts chapter 12. So theology is our thinking and our understanding about God. Practical theology is how we live that out, how we live out what we understand about God, how we live in the light of that. Because understanding more about who God is and what he's done for us and what, what, what he's done in our lives, that isn't just nice information that is nice for us to know. That understanding needs to change things. It needs to change things in us. And it needs to lead us into a process where the person that we are and how we see life, how we see ourselves, how we see other people is in this process of ongoing transformation as we live this out, as we live in the light of where is God in your living? So Paul has given us, uh, in verse one, the reason why we must respond. We must respond because of all God's mercy. In view of all of God's mercies that are stacked up in your life, all of his grace and his goodness to you, you must respond and then Paul tells us how to respond he tells us what our response must be our response must be the surrender of our whole selves to God not just some parts and not other parts there can be no sections of us that have a sign saying keep out keep off the grass No areas that are off limits for him that we kind of want to hang on to for ourselves. No places where we can allow aspects of ourselves to be ignored, to go unchallenged. No bargaining with God about the bits that we will give him and the bits that actually we want to hang on to. We saw last week that offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In verse 1, to offer your body doesn't just mean your physical skin and bones, it means the whole person that we are. The whole person that we are in relation to the world. Our thoughts, our emotions, our personality, our will. All of that, all, is to be offered and surrendered to God so that his will can be done in me and not mine. Has this section of scripture started to change you yet? I have. It, has, it started with me. I've started to have some uncomfortable thoughts I've realized that God is starting to bring to my mind some things that challenge some things that I'm comfortable with. I don't like it. I've started to realize some things about, some aspects of myself that I thought were okay and I didn't really want God to change. Didn't really want God to challenge me in those areas, but he is. And I've realised that, of course, that's what's going to happen if I'm going to stand up here and say things like this. I'm not going away from this unchallenged. Are you? We saw last week that we need to be like an onion in our faith. We need to be asking God to strip away, layer by layer, our wrong thinking. Our wrong perceptions and our wrong priorities. That's when he'll be able to do his change work, his renewing work in us. So are you asking him for that? And will you keep on asking him for that? Be careful what you ask for, though. Because if you do ask him for that, it won't be a painless process. He will challenge some things in you and it will feel uncomfortable and it will definitely be easier to just stay as you are. But if you ask him to, he will do it. And he will grow you and renew you and little by little he will form a new version of you that is richer and deeper and so much more than you have been before god has been doing business with me this week have you asked him to do business with you so let's read from scripture now let's turn to this i'm going to read the first two verses again of Romans chapter 12, and then we'll go on and read verse three. Take a big step and read one more verse. Please follow in your Bible if you have your Bible there, and it will be on the screen for you as well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will for by the grace given me i say to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. We're pausing there for today. Let's pray over God's word open before us. Holy Spirit, speak to us through this living word, we pray. Illumine our hearts and our minds with the candle of your truth so that we can truly live. We await your voice and we open our hearts to you now. Amen. So we are moving now into this, a section of this chapter where Paul is gonna give us and the Roman Christians some really practical guidance about what are the things we must actually do if we want to resist being shaped by the world's pattern and be shaped by God instead, and to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And what's really interesting about this section, it starts in verse three and it it carries on really for the whole of the rest of the chapter this section, and we will explore it bit by bit in the coming weeks. But what's really interesting about this section is that it's all about us together. This section where Paul explains what this transforming of our minds is actually gonna look like, none of it is about our private relationship with God. All of it. It's about what we do together, how we serve together, how we relate to each other, how we navigate difficulties and problems, how we show love. All of it is about us and each other, us and other people and what paul describes in this section which we've only just started to read what paul describes here it's not the result of transformed minds what he's describing here the attitudes and behaviors that we're going to go on and look at uh, week by week in the coming weeks those are not the outcome they're not the result They're not the result that we'll be able to see once we've had our minds transformed. They are that to some extent, but what they really are is they are the means. They are the means by which God will do this work in us. And so as we work through the rest of this chapter, as we will do in the coming weeks, don't look at these things as things that are evidence of a mind that has been transformed and renewed. Look at them as the steps we need to take to get there. They are the steps that we need to take if renewing of our minds is our goal. God is gonna work through these things to transform and renew us. So we've already had step one. Step one is the biggest one of all, really. It's kind of the overarching one that contains all of the others. Offer your bodies, offer your whole self to God as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice not holding parts of yourself back and before we move on to verse three i promise that we will move on to verse three before we do i want to just stop and look at one part of verse two that we didn't really look at last week where it says then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will now what doesn't come through in the english translation here is that the you in that sentence is plural it's not an individual you it's a plural you then you together you collectively you as a body together will be able to better understand god's will and god's purposes Most of what Paul writes in his letters, in all his letters, most of it is addressed to the Christians collectively, together. And we can miss that because we only have one word for you. And because our culture teaches us to assume That the self the individual is of primary importance we assume we just instinctively read it that Paul's teaching is directed to us as individuals but that misses something really important this teaching is actually addressed to them together to them jointly as a group so we are called each of us to surrender ourselves, and that has to be done personally. We can each only do it for ourselves. But it's when we're all doing that, when we're all taking seriously this call to surrender ourselves and our lives, that is when we together we'll be better able to hear God's voice together and understand what he's saying to us. We cannot and we should never act as though we don't need other Christians. This new way of thinking that we're gonna have, it has to take account of others. It has to make space for others. Our minds cannot be renewed without the active help of other believers. We cannot read and understand what scripture says and what it means for our lives without dialogue with others who are reading the same scripture it lives among us together we're not just working it out on our own that's not what god has called us to do we cannot live the life of a disciple anywhere other than within a community of others who will nurture us and nudge us and challenge us We cannot see our own blind spots in our following of Jesus. We can't see our blind spots unless someone else points them out. How do you respond to the idea that you have blind spots, by the way? It's an uncomfortable thought. Might you ask God to put others in your path who could help you to see them better. It's a good humility question. How does the idea of blind spots in yourself feel? And what are you willing to contemplate doing about them? It is an attitude of arrogance It is valuing ourselves more highly than we ought, as it says in verse three, if we come to the conclusion that we don't need the help of others to discern God's wisdom and work out what it means for us in our real lives. When you are laying down yourselves as that living sacrifice, that's when you together will be able to discern and better understand God's will for you. So let's come to verse three then. Come along. Oh, we've done that one. Verse three so our identity together our identity together as the body of christ that's never a secondary thing for paul it's never oh yeah and you kind of come together in groups as well but that doesn't really matter our togetherness never comes in second place for paul doesn't come in second place behind our personal rightness with God, the two of them are very much together. Personal rightness with God cannot be separated from the relationships that we have with each other. Annoying, but true. This transformation that God brings It will be seen first and it will be seen most particularly and clearly in our relationships with each other and the attitude that we take towards each other. And as I said just a few minutes ago, this will be the means of our transformation, not just the outcome. This will be the means by which God will do his work in us. So, first on Paul's list is right thinking about ourselves. Society in Rome was obsessed with status. Everything was built around hierarchy. The wealthy patricians were at the top. They were the ruling class, and they looked down on the middle classes. And the middle classes, they looked down on the labouring classes, the tradesmen and craftsmen. And the labouring classes and tradesmen and craftsmen, they looked down on the slaves. Men were superior to women. The old were superior to the young. And everyone was superior to the Jews and the barbarians. Every person in society knew their station, their place in the rankings, and those who were above you would make sure that you never forgot it. Paul tells them that there is no place for that in Christian community, and it would have been almost more than they can comprehend because they don't know any other way of doing it. In Christian community, you are all equal before God. That would be utterly mind blowing. We are all sinners. We have all received God's undeserved grace. And it seems like they've still been valuing the wrong things. God values very different things. Than we do. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. We don't have the same kind of hierarchy in our society that they did, but what do we have in our society that might be a bit like that? For us, I think it is the cult of self my self, self self is all. What I need, what I want, what I deserve, what I'm entitled to. We see it in the way that we transfer blame onto other people. We instinctively blame someone else for things. Because self must be protected from any sense of ever getting anything wrong. It's always someone else's fault. Self must always be the victim because that's a nice, safe, unchallenging place for self to be. But we will not grow when we're in that place. Finding fault with other people is the most common way that we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. It's a favorite hobby, isn't it? Criticizing. Finding fault with people where we feel they fall short. And We don't do it out of any compassion or any attempt at fellow feeling with them. We do it because it makes us feel good. But specks and planks, people, to find fault with another person, to conclude that they fall woefully short in some area, that is to imply that there is no area in which I fall short. It is to set myself above them. And it is absolving myself of any fault in any way. If you genuinely feel that someone is falling short in some area, you need to say that to them. And not say it to someone else. That's the only honest way of dealing with it. And whenever we're tempted to find fault with someone else, we need to do it with Jesus' words from Matthew 7 in our minds about specks and planks. Stop pointing out the speck in someone else's eye while ignoring the plank in your own eye. It's a warning. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. When you criticize and find fault, you are implying that you are superior. That may not be what you intend, but that is what's happening on the inside. There is nothing me-centred about following Jesus. One of the ways that we can make this sacrifice of ourselves, this living sacrifice, is to understand that Christian discipleship does not revolve around me. I am not the most important thing. Verse 3 is structured around uh, the Greek word phronos, which means think. So phronos doesn't mean the intellectual process that goes on up here. Phronos means mindset. It means the direction of our thinking and the way that we view things, the way that we see things. Do not mindset yourself. Do not perceive yourself. Don't have a mindset that places yourself highly. This would be like speaking a foreign language to these Roman citizens, because their whole identity was defined by being higher than someone else. Humility was not a virtue in that society humility was for slaves and servants for those who had nothing better to define them for those who had no choice but this word phronos is a jesus word because we find this word in philippians chapter 2 Here it is, in your relationships with each other have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who did not hold on to the opportunities for importance and glory that his position gave him but made himself nothing. Became a servant and humbled himself. Have the same mindset, have the same attitude, have the same fronos as Jesus in your relationships with others. Do not us yourself more highly than you ought. It's not difficult to identify the areas that are a problem for each of us. You need to look for the things that you draw value from. Value and worth. What are the things that give you a sense of value and worth? What are the ways that you compare yourself to others and think actually you're doing pretty well? There's a bit of superiority there. We all do this. What are the things that you judge other people on and judge them to be pretty poor, actually, at least poorer than you? It's probably not a coincidence that these will be the same things that you are most reluctant to surrender to God and to say this, is yours God, your will and not mine. All through scripture, we can see how God is drawn to humility and to those who display it. Pride, arrogance, ego have no place in the church. In fact, they are like a cancer for the church. A critical spirit is like a cancer for the church. And you know, the picture that we each have of ourselves, is not always the most accurate picture. The way that we see ourselves is not the same (laughs) as the way other people see us for the Holy Spirit to be able to work in us and to renew our minds, we need to have a truer picture of ourselves. And we can't have that if we are not yet fully surrendered to him. But we don't need to be afraid of that because we know that we do this standing in the grace of And the mercy of God and knowing that he loves you and doesn't condemn you or judge you think of yourselves with sober judgment says Paul in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you sober judgment means that we have a right awareness of our weaknesses as well as a right awareness of our strengths. Sober judgment means that we listen to others and we value others because we understand that without them we are incomplete. Sober judgment understands that we need each other even though we're different. And that I have just as many faults and failings as the person I'm criticizing, they're just different ones. And God gives us faith to do this with. We understand that this isn't something that we have the resources and the means within ourselves to do. We do it through the faith and the grace that he gives us. And with the eyes of faith in our minds that are being renewed, we come to understand that God doesn't value people at all in the ways that we do. God's valuations of others are nothing like ours. And we would do well to remember that. If there were gonna be a ranking system in God's kingdom, I don't think there will be. But if there were, it wouldn't be based on any of the things that we would want to rank ourselves on. It would be based on humility. Because humility, is the Jesus virtue. Humility is the Jesus superpower. Let's think on that. Let's just be quiet for a few moments. Ask God to speak to you in these moments.